Support comes from Bellingham's Whatcom Museum with its historic Hall of Birds. On May 31st and June 1st, hosting bird taxidermist and museum preservationist Alice Markham for a weekend of events and workshops. Details and tickets at whatcommuseum.org. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Wednesday. This is Seattle Now. Strikes, layoffs, worker shortages. There's been a lot happening in the labor market this year. And unemployment has stayed low, which means there's work out there for job seekers. KUOW's labor and economy reporter Monica Nicholsberg talks us through some of Seattle's top labor stories of 2023. But first, let's get you caught up. Bad news for light rail riders. We're kicking off the new year with some service disruptions, according to Sound Transit. The agency says crews will be working to maintain tracks near the downtown stations between January 13th and February 4th. That means on weekdays, one-line trains will only run every 26 minutes between Northgate and Angle Lake. There'll be shuttles to replace trains between Capitol Hill and Soto on the weekends. It's a little bit more complicated than we can sum up for you here. So check out the link in the show notes for all the info. A lot of Washington families reevaluated their school options during the pandemic. Now a new analysis from the Associated Press shows the shift. There's been a 26 percent spike in private school enrollment. Nationally, the same number only grew about 8 percent. Homeschooling here has also increased by more than 40 percent. The analysis includes self-reported data from 34 states plus Washington, D.C. And if you're traveling domestically out of Seattle-Tacoma International Airport this weekend, be advised you should head to the terminal at least two hours ahead of your flight. Officials say they're expecting this coming Saturday to be the busiest day with an expected 158,000 travelers passing through. Sounds like a lot of people, but it's still less than pre-pandemic totals. Heading into the office five days a week. If that sounds like a stretch, it's on the horizon for some local workers as their employers demand more time in the office. And that's just one of the things that's been percolating in labor news over the last year. Layoffs and strikes are the other top issues making headlines. It's been a worker's market. And in spite of the layoffs, unemployment has been low. Most people who want a job can get one. And it's a better time to be a worker than an employer in a lot of industries. That's KUOW's labor and economy reporter, Monica Nicholsberg. The tight labor market has enabled employees to ask more of their workplace, whether that's through union negotiations or workplace requirements, like spending more time at the office. Monica is here to go over some of the year's labor stories and take a look at what might be ahead for 2024. Thanks for taking the time, Monica. Really glad you're here. Thanks for having me. Let's talk about the big story in our local labor market in 2023. What is it? I would say the biggest theme this year is worker power, and that's manifested in a lot of different ways and as a result of a lot of different trends that all sort of collided this year. All right, let's get into that and talk about what organizers have been doing. Yeah, I mean, nationally, the big stories have been the Hollywood strikes and the auto workers strikes this year. In both cases, the workers really got a lot of what they were asking for, especially the automakers who really just got this unbelievable deal. But we're also seeing this locally. You know, the UW postdocs and academic researchers went on strike earlier this year and got a lot of what they were looking for. They got, you know, uh, double digit minimum pay increases and other benefits that they were seeking. 
And then there's the big one, Starbucks. Yeah. Even though it didn't start here, the Starbucks union movement started in Buffalo. Seattle has become a real center of organizing. And obviously, it's where the company is headquartered. And that storyline from sort of the beginning of the year to now, I think, really reflects what's happening more broadly in the labor movement. All right. Interesting. Let's talk about the local job market. Unemployment is low. What does that mean here in Seattle? Where is their job growth? Well, even though we saw big rounds of tech layoffs earlier this year, this is still a tech city and there's still demand for software engineers and other tech-related jobs. That hasn't really gone away. It might have shifted focus a little bit, but it's there. But we're also seeing a ton of demand in healthcare, which actually overtook tech as the sector with the biggest job growth this year for the first time in a really long time. Anybody who's been to an ER recently or talked to a nurse probably knows this is a huge crisis. And then food services, restaurants, hospitality, anywhere where it feels like the service is a little bit not what it used to be is probably an industry where employers are struggling to fill jobs. And what about all those layoffs in tech? What's happened to those workers? What do we know about them? Yeah. So earlier this year, we saw thousands, tens of thousands of tech layoffs, and it really felt like it might be signaling a big economic downturn. That didn't really seem to happen. And I think in retrospect, it looks like maybe those tech companies were a little over aggressive. But the truth is, a lot of them, especially Amazon, hired like crazy during the pandemic and felt the need to sort of course correct here. But these are highly skilled workers. They tend to land on their feet. And that's what we're seeing in the data. We're not seeing this huge spike in unemployment. It seems like most of those folks found another job pretty quickly. Okay, really interesting, Monica. All right. So we're talking about low unemployment, but ZipRecruiter in its fall survey found that job seeker confidence has dropped since 2022. What does that mean? The job market has cooled a little bit since earlier this year. It's not quite as hot as it used to be. But also workers are whole people. And outside of work, pretty much everything else has gotten more expensive. They're repaying student loans now. Childcare and housing, especially in a city like Seattle, is off the charts. So I think there's this general sentiment that working hard just doesn't get you as far. I know this from conversations. I recently did this project where I talked to people of different generations about their attitudes toward work. And a lot of folks, especially millennials and Gen Z, had this feeling that I'm not going to go above and beyond at my job because my employer doesn't go above and beyond for me. And this promise, this social contract that if I work really hard now, I'll be able to retire, buy a house, have sort of these fundamental things that make up the American dream, that just doesn't feel honest anymore. So I'm just going to kind of do what I have to do. It's just a job. Yeah. Really, really interesting, Monica. For office workers, the elephant in the room has been the return to office policies. Amazon says three days a week. Boeing just asked for five days a week, and that's 35,000 workers in the commercial airplanes division. But the flexibility of hybrid remote work is huge for some people. So let's talk about what companies want and what workers want. Yeah, I mean, it depends on the company. It seems like bigger companies like Amazon, Boeing have been more aggressive. And I don't think it's a coincidence that they also have bigger leases. And big government contracts. Yes, I mean, they've got a lot of leverage, first of all. They can throw their weight around more than a small startup trying to compete with these companies. But they also are on the hook for the high costs of office spaces. And I think from a worker perspective, They've really benefited from this flexibility and having it taken away is frustrating because these companies haven't really supplied data to show why they should sacrifice this benefit they've come to rely on. Um, I mean, personally, I can tell you my husband is a software engineer and since the pandemic, he won't even consider a job if it doesn't have a remote option and he's not alone. 
Yeah. For some workers, returning to the office presents a significant challenge, and I am thinking mainly about working parents and caregivers who have responsibilities at home. Yeah, I, I'll raise my hand as one of the people who benefits from this. Um, I, I'm a new mom. And right now I'm talking to you from a laundry closet while my husband watches our sick two-year-old because, and you know, if we weren't able to both work from home, <laughs> we would not be able to function. Um, we are seeing new moms like me enter the workforce at these really, really record rates. And most people think that that's because flexibility allows them to do so. I see this all the time with my friends who have young kids. With the cost and the inaccessibility of childcare, everybody has to cobble it together, myself included. It's not just new parents, you know, people with disabilities, people with crippling anxiety who have never been able to work full time in an office before can do jobs that they couldn't do. And, you know, I think it's easy to, f- to not have a ton of sympathy for office workers when nurses, firefighters, lots of folks never had the opportunity to work remotely. But I think we can have sympathy for that experience and for the experience of people who've really come to rely on flexibility to be able to participate in the workforce. We don't have enough workers, you know, we should make it accessible to as many people as possible. Yeah, really, really interesting. We were talking about the tech sector. So let's talk about AI. It's been a big year for that new technology. What are companies grappling with? Yes, it has been hard to miss the AI storyline this year. Um, You know, we've been talking about this labor shortage, and there's a lot of fear around AI that it could replace jobs. That's valid. You know, it's proved this year with generative AI and things like ChatGPT that there's a lot of tasks we didn't think could be automated that can. But we also have this labor shortage. Companies, employers can't find enough folks to fill the jobs that exist right now. So I think that that could push them to automate more tasks just because they can't find humans to do them. And You know, we've also seen a little bit of this job displacement from AI in an indirect way here in the Seattle area this year. It's not that those tech layoffs were all replaced by robots, but I think in part it was a way to trim the fat from some of these, what they would say, you know, maybe overbloated departments so that they could reinvest that money into their AI teams. Wow. You know, this is something that we're going to have to grapple with for the foreseeable future, Monica, as employers and employees. What have we learned so far that will inform going forward? Well, I think if this year has taught us anything, it's that this is moving very quickly. You know, this is really the year that ChatGPT debuted. And look at the kinds of conversations we're having now in December. I think as much as workers can learn to incorporate some automation into their workflows, I think it'll help them to keep up. Because from my perspective, there's always going to be a need for those more skilled kind of managerial workers to supervise the AI. Like, I still think it's going to be a long time before we can just let it function on its own. Mm. You know, we have covered some big labor issues in 2023. What's ahead in 2024, Monica? What are you looking out for? I'm curious if this labor revival is here to stay. And Starbucks, like I said, is such a good example because for years they've been accused by the National Labor Board and activists of union busting, of just totally strong arming the union and refusing to participate in negotiations. And just this month they said, we're going to change our tune. We want to wrap this up. We realize this is here to stay. I'm curious to see if that's going to become an example for other companies that this isn't really something that they can just delay and defer anymore. And I think a lot of 
labor activists are looking at Starbucks. We see in our backyard there are flight attendants, nurses who are striking and pushing their employers for better terms. Seattle City employees have been kind of locked in a stalemate for months with the city, with their employer. So that's my biggest outstanding question is if the momentum that's been built over the past year for the labor movement is something that can be continued on into 2024 and beyond. Really appreciate your reporting, Monica. That's Monica Nicholsberg, KUOW's labor and economy reporter. Thanks so much. Thanks, Trish. Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Jenny Cecil Moore. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Claire McRain, and Vaughn Jones. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.